I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Every week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. David Berry. Hello. Freelance journalist, former National Postie. Yep. Welcome back to Shortcuts. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. David, today we are going to talk about the Vancouver Sun's fear of a brown Canada. We are going to talk about the quote, Governor General, unquote, unfortunate miscommunication in which he said exactly what he meant about Indigenous people not really existing. And we're going to talk about the National Post's commitment to environmentalism by killing their Monday print edition. To say nothing of how many people don't have to drive to work anymore. Excellent. Great to have you again. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Frank Berghaus, Tom Blake, Wade Prue, Phil Arsenault, Stuart Rand, Bardia Sinei, Nick Toller, and Bruce Chlorfine. Bruce, why did you decide to be awesome? I support Canada Land because we all depend on the media to stay informed, so we also need to stay informed about the media. And once again, this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. David, you look to me like a carbon-based human mammal that eats food. It's as far as I know, yeah. Well, I have some news for you, my friend. 
cooking can be a lot easier than the kind of broken process of having to think of a meal that you want to... Yeah, that's terrible. Meal planning is the worst. Yeah, that's the big obstacle, I think. I mean, it's great. If you've got all the time in the world, I love going to a farmer's market, whatever, really bougie, like, oh, look at this. This is good. But, you know, you don't always have that much time. We're downtown Toronto liberal elites. Who I'm not trying to pretend otherwise. Yeah. But I'm also a hardworking person who, at the end of a busy day, to go to a supermarket, I can't even deal. I've been making these meals with a HelloFresh meal kit, and it's totally brilliant. Not just because there's no waste, there's no meal planning. It does like they've tested these recipes. They work and you produce tasty food. I did this one last night that was Italian sausage with orzo and succotash. Succotash is not something that I would otherwise have cooked. No, I, I think that's fair. I didn't even know that was anything other than like an expression for foghorn leghorn. So That's right. It is, it is actually a beautiful medley of vegetables. You're, you're getting local fresh ingredients. Frankly, uh, it sounds to me like it's good for, you know, single people on the go. It's good for people who have families and don't have time to cook as much as they used to. It is good for everyone. I'm glad we see eye to eye on this. It actually is a little bit of genius, and uh, I'm a convert. So for 50% off of your first box, visit HelloFresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. We are a people who looks beyond the individual to the collectivity and have as one of our very fundamental tenets that life should be better um, not only for ourselves and our immediate family, but for others. Um, we're a country based on immigration, going right back to our, quote, indigenous people, unquote, who were immigrants as well, 10, 12, 14,000 years ago. Okay, so that's the Queen's representative. <laughs> 
And he has walked it back. Yeah, that shocker. <laughs> he says it was a miscommunication. I don't think it was a miscommunication. I think it depends how you define miscommunication, but okay. you go first. <laughs> that implies that he said something other than what he meant to say, that mm. he misspoke. Uh, the Governor General, David Johnston, is an articulate and reasonable man who is perfectly capable of expressing what he means. And what I heard there was not like to misspeak is to sort of like flub and say migrant or immigrant when you meant migrant. Mm -hmm. That's the implication yeah. is that I meant to say migrant and I said immigrant. No, he articulated a concept. And that concept is that we are all immigrants. We all came here from somewhere else. And that... Sure, you got to go back 14,000 years to make that apply to right. indigenous people. <laughs> just, just a touch. Sure. Right? Yeah. But they, like the rest of us, were in search of a better life for their children. And then he kind of completes the idea by questioning whether or not we can even call them indigenous. They are quote unquote indigenous people because they, like us, are just other immigrants who came here in search of a better life. That is a fully articulated concept. I don't know how that was a miscommunication. I think miscommunication might not even be the right word for it. What I think it was is that what he maybe intended as like a boilerplate, nice, feel good, like, aren't we a land of all immigrants, you know, like, like trying to bring us all together. Uh, he just like stepped in a gigantic pile of dog shit, basically, by not realizing just being totally ignorant of the fact that like that has a terrible context when you're talking about Aboriginal people that does all kinds of terrible uh, lifting for like, oh, then I guess maybe they don't deserve all the stuff they said. And, you know, like, oh, and I guess maybe it wasn't that bad that we came in here and cleaned them off the land. And it, like it just uh, I think what he was trying to do was basically just be the governor general, which is like an empty figurehead and uh, said something just completely ignorant. I think you're totally right that he was essentially trying to take this sentimental romantic notion. He's a cheerleader for Canada. He's yeah. like Canada's little mascot. And he was trying to extend this very positive notion of Canada in a way that maybe he thought was inclusive and not racist. Hey, we're all the same yeah. here. Okay. And I think that, that that's why I say that this is his concept. And somebody obviously took him aside later and said, yeah, your concept, not only does it do all this damage and violence, but it's actually out of line with the policies and laws of Canada. Indigenous people do exist. They're not quote unquote indigenous. And by virtue of being indigenous people and by virtue of treaties and laws that confers all sorts of things. Do you want to take that from them too? And if you are in any way a representative of Canada, your opinion there, your concept, your ideology is radically out of whack. And this idea of his intention, like it became this thing. And, and this is Canada where rather than having journalists hold him up for scrutiny and mm. question his, he, he said, I want to clarify miscommunication. Our indigenous people are not immigrants. They are the original peoples of this land. And say, okay, well then what, if you miscommunicated, what did you mean to say? That's what I asked him. Right. And immediately Glenn McGregor comes to his defense. We have a journalist, Glenn McGregor coming to his defense, trying to explain what he actually meant. We have John Iveson yeah. in the national post writing about how the mob is out, out for David Johnston's head. Here's that mob again. We have journalists defending this guy rather than questioning, like, I don't care if he's a racist or not, nor do I think that's necessarily evidence of him personally being a racist. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's galling and shocking to me 
Like it's not an isolated thing. Like that ideology is not just Johnston. Like when Scott Gilmore, his solution to the problems that indigenous people face in this country is that they should leave their homes and no longer be indigenous people. They should assimilate. That is what a lot of people who are powerful think. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think it's just this insane knee jerk reaction to criticism of any kind on this issue. And I mean, Scott Gilmore is a whole different can of worms, probably, because he's someone who I think would purport to care quite a bit about the Indian problem or whatever the hell he would call it. But, you know, that obviously ends up fairly misguided. But at the root of that is just like, just listen, listen to what these people are saying. When you write an article about how they should all move or uh, when you say that you think they are immigrants and a gigantic community stands up and says, hey, this is wrong, just step back and listen to the actual substance of it and don't post, you know, flip off emojis or just make flippant comments about like, oh, so I guess he's a racist and it doesn't matter. And like, it just, it seems insane to me that we keep doing this. We keep doing this. And every single time the response uh, of large mainstream media is just to not pay any attention, is to dismiss all criticism as like this crazy, you know, Twitter mob out to get everyone. Outrage uh, culture. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Et cetera, et cetera. When like most of the responses, I mean, like, yeah, there's always some person who is professionally angry out there uh, calling for whatever. But like, most of the responses to this are this kind of reasonable, like, hey, don't call indigenous people immigrants because that feeds into a whole lot of problems, which to kind of his credit, even the governor general seems to have figured out, like, you now have journalists carrying water for a guy who is willing to walk back that statement and go, oh, crap, wait, no, 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 no. Doesn't that bring to mind when Hal Nedvietsky apologized for his appropriation award editorial that he put into an issue that was dedicated to indigenous writers and he he quit and apologized and recognized what he did was wrong and everybody else closed ranks around and, and defended him in ways that he actually objected to. Like, thanks for the help, but no help. So here we have the governor general apologizing for what he said and he's got journalists closing ranks. Like the fault lines here are not elected officials and representatives of the government versus mm -hmm. journalists, as it should be. The fault lines in Canada are like white elite society versus indigenous people. Like that, it keeps reasserting itself. I don't know where it comes from. Like maybe they've been called racist one too many times. And that's just like, that's just it. They are not listening to this anymore. But yeah, like the retrenchment constantly, constant retrenchment on any bit of this issue just seems insane to me, especially if like, if you are, well, I guess two points. One, if you're purported to be interested in these issues and think it's a big deal for Canada, like it seems insane to me that you wouldn't make a serious and concerted effort to at least listen to what the community has to say. That doesn't mean you need to like automatically bow down and say they're right, but like, yeah, you know, stand back and listen for a little while at least, uh, which doesn't seem to happen, that baseline step. But secondly, and I like this is an issue that comes up a lot, but I still think it's insane. Of all the major media outlets in Canada, for however long that we as a society have agreed to say that Aboriginal issues are a thing, like, who are the major voices? Like, has there ever been a opinion columnist at the National Post of Aboriginal descent? No. You know, like, no. no, at the Globe and Mail, at the Toronto Star, anyone on the editorial board, like just anyone in the room who could say, like, maybe they have a point here or something. 
I, it just and like that to me is just sort of the most basic failing here. I think so, because so much of it is not out of uh, I don't think that there's some like awful racism in the heart of David Johnson. Yeah. He just doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And even when he apologizes, he calls them our indigenous people. And then he just like stumbles backwards again into an even bigger pile of shit. It's like it's not like a microaggression thing, like for the governor general, for the queen's representative to use the possessive tense. Mm. In like that, there is a legacy of like, like, it's not like, oh, that's a little minor infraction when you're talking about history. Like we took babies from parents. We actually made them possessions of the state. So to call for the queen's representative to call them our indigenous people is like a, it's an risable. Yeah. Hurtful thing to say. And again, maybe if there is like one person in the room who could put their hand up yes. and be like, hey, uh, before you go on. <laughs> Let like, me do you a solid. Here. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me help you out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I respect, again, we're two white guys talking about this. And the best thing to do for us might be to just sort of bow out and listen again here. But I think it goes back to this. This isn't even, and I, oh man, I want to be careful with how I tried here. But like, this isn't even just an issue of like representation and, oh, okay, there's a certain number of people like the, the question of Canada's treatment of Aboriginal people is foundational to who we are as a nation. Yeah. We're like we have ignored it for a while. We have brushed it aside. We've done horrible things. We've tried in the recent past to reconcile it, but like it is bound up in what Canada is. And at basically no point outside of maybe a few recent examples has like the Aboriginal population had any say in that in a mainstream way. Which is why I actually feel like brushing aside, giving Johnston a pass on this, it was a miscommunication, let's move on, is the wrong thing to do, not because we need his head on a platter, but because what he actually was asserting, we need to look at that. Like he wants to use this very recent notion of Canada as this diverse wonderland and extend it back 15,000 years. And I think in doing so, erase a lot of what happened. And it, it, I think it is an ideology that is about the opposite of what you're saying. Like it, mm. it's about putting blinders on and not dealing with that stuff. So it's like, it's important that we actually look at this philosophy he's putting forth and, and have a public debate. And I would say reject it, but we have to at least admit that that is what he thinks. And that is what he was asserting. Let us let this outrage parade march on. <laughs> to Twitter. Not to Twitter, but uh, we'll, we'll keep it within the post-media empire. And as two white guys sitting here, virtue signaling as we are and and so pleased with ourselves and our right thinking mm. let us not become so drunk on our virtue that we don't recognize the fact that we are endangered my friend i read about it in the vancouver sun it was martin colicott frequent columnist for post media and former ambassador ambassador i think and uh he dropped the science on me stats and everything we are losing our foothold my friend. We are. <laughs> Seven out of 10 Vancouver residents will be visible minorities within two generations. 80% of the Canadian population compared to just 20% today will be non-white in less than a century. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, first a bit of housekeeping. If seven out of 10 of them are visible minorities, we can't really use that term anymore, can we? Visible, no, we can't. We totally visible can. majority. No, I think, I think we anyway, totally yeah. Can. yeah. No, no, we can't. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that that's just that's you know it was here before it exists. Uh, time memorial. Yeah, this article was very surprising from like a, a mainstream publication, and I think sort of a perfect example of like that phenomenon of like you know the problem with Donald Trump isn't 
that his policies are crazy. It's that he's a jackass, right? Like if you, you can dress up basically anything in like measured polite language and certain people will just sort of like nod along uh, and, and figure it out where like this is, yeah, this is, uh, as has been pointed out, this like white genocide, bizarre, oh my God, what are we going to do? And it's just like, it's it's insane. It's insane for so many reasons. It's insane. And it's kind of mendacious in that there is this use of like stats and science to, 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 to establish the fact that visible minorities will outnumber white people. And then the numbers disappear and the facts disappear having established this sort of basis of like, I'm grounding this in statistical fact. It's like, okay, so what? So what? Yeah. And the, so what, according to Calicott is I guess that they come here and don't share our values around the environment. I guess they're going to litter and, um, (laughs) and there's traffic problems and we don't have enough space for them in Canada. Yeah. In Canada. Where 75% of the population clings to a strip of the border. Like, we don't have enough space. (laughs) You have to somehow establish that this is bad. Like, if you're going to go there. Right. Otherwise, you are just, and the Post ran, the Vancouver Sun ran a a follow-up editorial where they, it was a callback to the anti-Asian I mean, you could do it again and again. There was anti-Jewish. There was any wave of immigration. There was somebody saying, we're going to be overtaken by these hordes of people. And I'm not racist, but they they don't share our values. They're weird. They smell. It's again and again and again. And I'm just like, can you mount a fact-based argument for this actually being bad? Because it seems like Canada does this pretty well. Yeah. Well, like, it's this really basic idea that, you know, Canada... As we discussed, there's, there's problems uh, with Canada's founding, but it, it was a country that was founded on, you know, ideals. Whether we've lived up to those ideals is is an open question, but that's what we're here. That's what connects us theoretically. And every group who has shown up basically ever seems to eventually fall in line with those basic ideals of, I don't know, call it capitalism and sort of democracy. And like you say, like... uh you don't even need to point to other visible minorities to do this. Like he has this bizarre, totally ignorant idea that like, you know, they're going to override the existing population. Like if what you mean by that is white, which is pretty clearly what he means. Like white is not a culture. Yeah. The white is like, I am half Irish and half Ukrainian. A hundred years ago, both of those people were overriding like, you know, dirty bohunk slavs and potato boat, whatever, like, and, but now I guess I'm cool and Canadian because someone more different has decided to show up on our shores in numbers. And you were my sworn enemy, Ukrainians and the Jews. And, and, and here we're just a couple of white guys now. Exactly. Like we're just getting along, getting our food delivered, you know, like, but like this, this comes up (laughs) relentlessly and it applies to Asian pick Muslim pick whatever and like you say go back 50 years same arguments about Jewish people go back 100 years same arguments about Ukrainian people and I don't understand why these people can't like just admit that how are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen Paris you know like whatever else Western Canadian North American culture whatever the hell you want to call it is it is really good at convincing people that this is the way they should live 
Yeah. And I mean, we're kind of uniquely in a position to like, we're, you know, London is reeling. There are these like, like it hasn't happened here where it's okay. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be surprised. I mean, this is a disgusting thing for the Vancouver Sun to have run. I mean, it, it is completely anachronistic. Mm. I think in a Western, like even in countries that are facing much more tangible problems of integration, this would be a disgusting piece. In Canada, it's just a, a complete like, what the fuck is that? What are yeah, they doing printing you? this? Yeah. But I'm not going to act surprised that they printed this because they do this all the time. There's another piece in a post-media paper, Candace Malcolm, the headline, The Real Legacy of Trudeau's Syrian Refugee Program. Here, she cherry picks a case where a Syrian refugee beat his wife, allegedly, with a hockey stick. Oh, the symbolism. And his defense was, oh, nobody told me that was against the law here. Therefore, she concludes, this is the real legacy. This is what we get. What was the, all of that PR about bringing in these Syrian refugees? What do you get? A battered wife. And the way she builds her argument, she moves from this one guy to Syrian refugees, plural. Yeah. How did she get to plural? Because the guy's wife defended him and said he didn't know this was against the law. So now we have two, and therefore we can indict all Syrian refugees. Right. And- this is fact-free reporting because we've taken in over 25,000 Syrian refugees. I don't know what the ratio of spousal abuse to population is, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's more than one to 25,000. Mm. Unless you can get to some conclusion, like I, I'm happy to discuss anything. If we've brought in 25,000 Syrian refugees and there is an endemic problem of spousal abuse, that's a problem. We have to admit that that's a problem and talk about it. But yeah. you have to establish that statistically that that's true. Right. The fact that one guy did this is absolutely meaningless and it is racist to publish that one cherry picked piece, I think at all outside of that context. And it is certainly racist to draw the conclusions that Candace Malcolm drew. Mm, yeah. I don't think you can dress it up like that. They are certainly trying to dress it up in some other way, but like, it's also just ridiculous that, you know, like Kelly Leach runs on a, you know, her, values platform and everyone can stand up and yell about that and how horrible it is. But then like we can turn around and again, like these things that just have this thin veneer of respectability, just find the right little middling words. And apparently we'll defend these things on Twitter or we'll run them or like whatever, all bets are off. All you need to do is, you know, talk correctly and you can advance just some of the most heinous ideas. Yeah, they are dressed up as, you know, you would think it, it looks just like a newspaper editorial. Here's a news peg. This thing happened. Here's yeah. the opinion part. And people don't have a chance. You know what I mean? Like, like unless this is your job or you're in the field to read this stuff and think about it, it just sort of like, it starts to paint a picture of things. Wow, that Syrian refugee thing certainly isn't working out. And we're going to talk about post-media. I'm glad that this is a through <laughs> line. They want us to pay them to publish this shit. Mm. The proposal just came out. There was a, of course, the think tank proposal that I spoke to Eddie Greenspan about. And now the newspaper's lobby group has come out with their formal proposal, which Andrew Coyne says is a done deal. It's going to happen mm. directly to pay people like Candace Malcolm to write shit like that. Well, I think uh, if we've learned anything, it's that uh, stoking paranoia uh, about immigrants is essential to the functioning of a modern democracy. Kind of a basic service. Yeah, exactly. Okay, David, now is the time on our program where we thank our second sponsor, FreshBooks. Sir, you are a freelancer. I, I am. I don't know how you deal with your invoices. That's up to you, man. That's your business. 
private, yeah, between me and my God. But I will suggest to you that you should be doing them through FreshBooks if you are not. FreshBooks is the Canadian company that makes billing painless, cloud accounting. That's how they began doing what they're doing is basically just offering a better option for sending invoices that look good and get you paid quicker and give you all sorts of functionality, like being able to see when people opened your invoice. And they've just sort of grown from there and become a suite of tools that kind of can replace an accounting department. If you're too small a business or a freelance concern to have your own like full-time accountant, then a lot of that stuff can be handled by FreshBooks. It even kind of goes beyond that because you get to see a live dynamic read of what money is coming in, what money is going out, how much have you spent in expenses that you're going to be reimbursed for. It really helps you plan your cash flow and give you peace of mind when you're trying to figure out what's what. It is incredibly helpful during tax time. And the fact that you can get paid through a credit card speeds up the process of getting paid all that much more. I just see this with freelancers I know all the time complaining about the process of trying to get paid for work they've already done. It hangs. And I see this now as a business owner that it's this amorphous category of money that you know you have, but you don't really have. Mm. FreshBooks helps you with that in a number of ways. And it's used by millions and millions of people around the world. You can try it out for free for 30 days when you go to freshbooks.com slash Canada Land. And if you do become a customer of theirs, I think you might tell them that Canada Land sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. David, I'd like to uh, note duly a few things with your participation. Oh, please. Note away. Peter Mansbridge, he's leaving us. And has been. Sort of, not really. He'll still totally just do whatever he wants to do there. But he's leaving the National. He's not going to have to come in every day. And the question has been, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? It's such an interesting thing in this country because people don't really watch the National so much, but we're very curious about who is going to sit in that chair. It still has some symbolic value. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation as to who it's going to be. The CBC, I don't think they were going to dare to overshadow Mansbridge's coming retirement from the National by announcing it first. Mm. He wouldn't have that and they wouldn't have that, but they have given us the first hint that it will not be one replacement. It will be a triumvirate. There will be three new anchors to the National. Well, I mean, surely, yeah, one person could not replace Peter Mansbridge. That, Who's, that it gonna Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Jake, Janet, and Chrissy? <laughs> double, double toil and trouble. <laughs> the capybaras from the High Park Zoo. There's three of them. Could be that. Yeah. Blossom Bubbles and Buttercup, three MCs and one DJ. I can't wait. You know what? This is a good move from the CBC. I think it's just like the first actual recognition that like there's maybe maybe not a good idea to just pick some random presenter personality and turn them into a celebrity greater than the institution mm. itself. They've all been like serving at the feet of Mansbridge and his whims. Like it's, it's bad in there in that yeah. shop. And I think they're like, if we have three, <laughs> we can always get rid of one. Right. Or they at least have to agree before they can uh, torment their staff. Maybe to kind of call back to what we were saying earlier, just maybe one of them might be an indigenous person. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe two, maybe, maybe Duncan McHugh or Connie Walker. Maybe that, should be somehow something that they do on the flagship news broadcast of the public broadcaster in Canada, maybe. That might be a nice symbolic uh, gesture. But I mean, I think in general, I, I, I'm actually just even curious to what degree host of the national is still even a meaningfully symbolic position. Uh, like, like certainly like Mansbridge, I guess, is Mansbridge, but that's sort of a holdover from, I don't know, like the 
90s or what like whenever the last time that like the late night news was in fact the overarching way that everyone kind of came together uh like when lloyd robertson left uh ctv uh you know his replacement with it's lisa laflum but it's not exactly a big deal i don't know how many people know or were you know really cared when that was announced and i think that's just sort of the way of the world now the Late night news anchor is not the position that it once was and probably will not be again, regardless of who they replace Mansbridge with. We don't need like Papa Canada to tuck us in every night. <laughs> maybe Mother Canada. Yeah. 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 Maybe we do need that. Duly noted. David, what do you have for us? I have possibly one of my favorite genres of story, which is the Toronto Life diluted hate read. This is actually a follow up. Uh, so. Uh, the father in, uh, I think, what is the most recent? I mean, I'm not sure. There could be another one. They are they churn these out, but uh, in the most recent uh, Toronto Life hate read, uh, which has been dismissively called "We Bought a Crack House," I think. I think that was actually the headline. Was it? Oh, okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is how good they are. This is how much of a science they have us down to. Uh, so. You know, they came out. It was the renovation from hell kind of story. They kicked out some squatters who were there or maybe didn't. Anyway, hopefully you've read that by now. But uh, the father wrote sort of a defense of this. Like, a, you didn't, you can't possibly understand uh, what we've gone through or what we went through. You know, uh, he talks about the editing process with Toronto Life where he feels that they made him come off looking pretty bad. Uh, he kind of disparages his wife at several points throughout which is like a really nice underlying thing it, it, it it's like three thousand some words as... no 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 it's ten thousand words oh good god really it's, it's ten thousand words long wow okay so like even this is this is like the the like drunk email you send here x like whatever i'll, I'll be better without you except it's to canada i guess and it's just there's so many things that i think it brings up the first of which is like I don't necessarily approve of this idea that like, you know, the two minutes hate that Twitter needs to get on every so often or just that we all feel the need to indulge in. But like, for the love of God, if you are not a public figure, if this ever happens to you, just hide for a while. Just put your head down and let it pass. We will get angry about something else so quickly and we will never remember your name i still can't even remember his name and i read his stupid blog post yesterday like it just don't don't ever do this do not take that free public relations advice but secondly i think it is kind of interesting to read and see a little bit about how the toronto life sausage is made because again like they are quite possibly the number one publication in the english language for finding just the right kind of deluded people to like give you full access to their life. Yeah. People who do not understand what kind of privilege they have or what kind of, you know, fatuous assholes they sound like or what kind like it's just and it it like my hats are off to their editors ah. for being consistently able to like <laughs> spot these people and like in the piece this guy talks about like the two hour meeting his wife had with the editor. And I can only assume that like 
it was all that editor could do to not just like bolt up and run to his computer to like get the contract or something like he must have been fully erect through this whole talk Ah. listening to her like deluded story about how Uh. oh like what a nightmare we did and we have a two million dollar house now like well, I mean, I, I suspected when that story was getting all that outrage that like this, it's too good. It's too perfect. This had to have been fluffed. Toronto Life was so aware of what they were publishing and setting this family up this way. And, you know, if you wade through the 10,000 words, there is evidence of a lot of fluffing and massaging and and setting up this family to make them seem a little bit more egregious than than perhaps they are. But then you're right. He just goes and... There's like four more things. I expect a follow-up, a 30,000-word follow-up <laughs> on, on the response to the 10,000-word mea culpa. Uh, oh, I hope. I hope this never ends. I hope we get one of these like quarterly for the rest of our lives, uh, each one longer than the last. Duly noted. I have one last one for us. So last week, Ruth Kelly, who was the head of Alberta's Venture Publishing, magazine publisher in Alberta, died. And... The CBC ran a headline, Extraordinary Woman, Edmonton Publisher, Editor Ruth Kelly Dies. And as you read this piece, it's just sort of hard for the reader to determine what what happened here. There's a lot of talk about her accomplishments and how well regarded she was. And then there's sort of these references here and there buried about financial troubles that the company had and money that was owed to freelancers. We happen to have done journalism on venture publishing, Mm. a couple stories, one of which most recently that it wasn't just freelancers who were owed money, that the staff was being denied their payroll at times, their benefits were being cut off. There were uh, sources telling us that they were printing like as low as 400 copies of the magazine. Seriously troubled company. The downturn of the economy in Alberta was obviously a contributor to this, um, but it was a very troubled company. And we issued two tweets after news of her death and that death later, the CBC didn't go there, but the Edmonton Journal did. Sources close to the dynamic businesswoman said she died by suicide. She was 60. Mm. That was reported by the Edmonton Journal. We issued two tweets uh, shortly after learning about her death. One was, here's some context about her company. And we linked to our story. And the second one, we just clipped something that the Canadian Media Guild put out, which was a note to freelancers telling them that this company was in dire financial straits and the CRA is first in line to get paid. And so Mm. they shouldn't expect any of their money. As a publication about the media, there are things where you sit and you think about the ethics or the propriety of should we get in? There was no discussion about this. It's obvious that our role is to provide some context. It was Mm -hmm. obvious to us that telling you a bit more about the company and telling you, I mean, certainly something that the Canadian Media Guild put out there, we didn't think twice about tweeting that. There was a very strong response Mm. on Twitter by people, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to name them. I'm not trying to, to call anybody out here. People were very upset with us. This is so callous. What horrible people you are. This is so disgusting. What's wrong with you? Monsters. You and Brown are ghouls. Have some respect for those who knew her and are grieving. This timing is reprehensible. And I didn't engage with any of that. I didn't want to fight mm. with people who are mourning somebody they cared about on, on Twitter. You've heard what I have to say about like, I can't apologize for... I think it is callous. The news is callous. It is our mm-hmm. job to inform people. And I also understand why we would be the ones to uh, get people so angry and not the Edmonton Journal who reported her suicide, which is always a tricky issue for the press, mm-hmm. or the CMG who also followed her death with this thing about money to be so callous to talk about money. I understand why Canada Land is an easier place to get angry with. I can't apologize for what we did. We do this. This is our job. But I, I just wanted to, uh, because I haven't said anything about it, I just want those people to know that I'm sorry for your loss. Duly noted. 
David, one last thing to talk with you about today. You are a former National Post journalist. I am. Six months or so now. Six months or so. National Post is killing its Monday print edition. Is that all? (laughs) You know, this can't be too surprising. Uh, I, I recall from working there every single time the summer Mondays came, we thought it might be the last Monday edition we ever did. You know, just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Somebody suggested uh, on Twitter after John Iveson defended the governor general that perhaps his column should run in the Monday print edition from now on. Ha! Oh, man. That is, I thought uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, God love post media. There's a lot of low hanging fruit there for jokes. How, how are you feeling, man? Uh, six months post post media. Six months post post media. Yeah, I am feeling, I guess, basically the same I did when I left the company six months ago and and took a buyout. I was one of the 25 who uh, did so at the time from the National Post. I mean, it just seems like the writing's on the wall. And in a way that like, you know, there's always been jokes. Like, like I said, like there's always been this. Oh, Death National- watch since day one. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I mean, I don't see how, particularly with the leadership group uh, at the top of Post Media right now, that like this ends well for anyone. I would like to think, and maybe I've was more closely attuned to this over the last six or seven years working there than the average person. But like, if you have any faith in post media's corporate leadership to run a profitable, survivable uh, business, like power to you. I, you're delusional. (laughs) Nothing they've done has indicated that they're trying to turn it around. No, they're not trying to turn it around. No, right? Can like, we just say, like, they're not trying, they're like, the whole idea, like, this is a fiction that what's happening now in newspapers is they're trying to slowly wean off the advertising revenue. Everybody agrees that the future is going to be direct support from your readers. You're going to have to build a product worth paying for. You're going to have to get rid of the print is too expensive anyhow. And it's, it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, yes, that's still your big revenue source, but it's going to be less and less each year. Smart money is on killing print entirely now and moving digital, even though you're, there's going to be some pain in the transition. Like, everything we say about what newspapers and what some newspapers are in fact doing in other parts of the world, none of our papers are doing that. They, they say they're doing that. They're not doing no. that. And I mean, like, again, like, so I had a front row seat for this. And like, all those things have been true for five years at the outside, maybe longer. And they're all, they're all bad. None of them are spectacularly well run these days, I don't think. Maybe the globe is. We can't see their finances. Who knows? But like, just watching, even when they have plans, I was there for post media 2.0 which was i don't know if anyone remembers this but it was like going to be post media's four platform tablet mobile whatever strategy yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think this was maybe announced in 2012 which could have been wouldn't have been a bad time to you know actually try to do it this wasn't rolled out until late 2014 i think is when the tablet started hitting and like even the consultant that they hired from what i heard told them no, like the, it's too late. Like you sat on this. It's too late. Don't don't do tablets. Yeah. It's like, and they did it anyway. The executive whose job it was to implement it was given a golden handshake after it was revealed that it didn't work at all. Like, there's there's two problems in at least facing post media. One of which is a very difficult media landscape, and who knows how anyone will survive it. The other of which is its executives are either incompetent or vampires. Like they're just, they're either trying to sort of hold on to this husk of a company and get what they can for as long as it lasts. Or like they, they literally 
just do not know how to run a media company and shouldn't be in charge of one. And I think we also know, let's not pretend that like we know which one that is. They're not like incompetent geriatrics pooping their pants and just like, like they're smart, savvy people who are like, know how to operate of self-interest. Like the company is about servicing debt and paying themselves bonuses like that. Like they are vampires. They're vampires. Can't we call, <laughs> you gotta call a vampire a vampire. Right. Yeah. The, the Just look in the mirror or don't as the case may be. And I guess it hurts if I can like reel back a bit. My time at the post itself was pretty much great. I, I loved almost everyone I worked with, like up to and including the editor in chief level. I, I think roundly smart, interesting, great people. Everyone above that is just like I had so much faith I left. <laughs> like you know, like that. Right. I, I like I I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it, it was actually I, pointed out to me recently that like there's a there's a killer weekly magazine buried in the National Post. Oh, sure. There actually is some wonderful work being done. Like, it's not a good daily newspaper. There's not a lot of great original reporting happening on a regular basis. There's, there's you know, tons of problems. The way it's managed, it's not giving good value as a daily newspaper. But there's still enough people doing good work across maybe post – like you could put together something pretty great if you actually were like, mm. what what is valuable here that we could turn around? There is a strategy conceivable. Yeah. But no one's doing it. Yeah. Well, and I think if they were at all forward thinking, like if they had gotten, if they had maybe canceled the Monday edition three, four years ago, or if they had like, if they had maybe like done the McLean's and like, okay, so instead of a daily, we're going to be a news, we're going to be a news website with a big, nice, beautiful Saturday edition. If they had done anything like that. If they had tried to consolidate all of post media's vast resources into like an actually functioning national newsroom, if they had done anything of that, Maybe there would be some faith, but like they they never have. They never did. They just continue to sort of muddle along, muddle along. And then anytime a cut comes, it's not with like some overarching, okay, well, this is our grand strategy. It's just sort of like, how much do we need to saw off to keep keep stumbling along? To service the debt. Yeah. I genuinely don't think you can look at anything Post Media has done since about 2010 and and think that it's a company that is worth public money, certainly, but uh, it, it is going to be a savior of journalism no matter what it gets. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> David, thank you. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. David, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Pleasure Motors. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Russell Gregg is the producer of this show. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.